what happens when a black guy, a white dude, and an Hispanic man happen to be pro wrestling marks? You get debates, roasting, and fun in Jeet Nation's newest podcast, Breaking Ring Rust. And it starts right now. Hey, yo, JT, our recurring guest, Matt Privet, are back. The bad guys are back for part four of the Lex Luger series, only on Breaking Ring Rust. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, Marks. We appreciate your listening to us, and we are glad to bring you yet another episode here. And tonight we are going to conclude Flexi Lexi. And we're also going to talk a little, a little bit about what's going on in the E. And we would talk a little bit about AEW, but they haven't put on the show yet. So, JT. So, are you saying we're going to wrap up the total package tonight? Got to put a bow on it. Well, the total package sometimes it has got to be wrapped up. It's the safest thing to do. So, to jump into the current things, Raw was interesting to say the least there were some good week. parts there were some bad parts and we're going to talk about a bad part mm-hmm. um because we are on a time constraint mm-hmm. so if you did not see raw this week there was a six woman tag match between the combatants in the wrestlemania main event and they had to face the riot squad. Now, previously to that, Stephanie McMahon came out and said the one thing I didn't want to hear her say, and that all titles are up for grabs in this match at WrestleMania. Uh, but in conclusion, there was also a stipulation that if any of the combatants decided to turn on her teammates, either Rhonda, Charlotte, or Becky Lynch, they would be removed from said championship match at WrestleMania. Turned on them during the match. Yes. Turned on during the match. Turning on the match words doesn't mean anything. So, uh, there was a match. Which actually was pretty decent. Which, yes, which was fine for the storytelling. And then afterwards, there was a dumpster fire. Um, We had a whole bunch of Immediately after the match was won via arm bar by Ronda Rousey on Liv Morgan, we had Ronda. Like she went back to doing her crappy version of the arm bar. I, I told you she's scared that she's going to hurt somebody. Well, she did it against Dana Brooke, legitimately. And and people and were scared, good. and people were tweeting and scared that she hurt Brooke, which is why she went back to the career. I'm telling you, she's scared that she's going to hurt somebody. But I digress. So Ronda immediately attacks Charlotte Flair at the conclusion of the match. Uh, Becky Lynch gets involved, and Charlotte tackles, and they all just get into a big fight into all the security, and then cops show up to separate them. Rhonda keeps being an aggressor. She puts they put some handcuffs on her. Becky starts being an aggressor while Rhonda's handcuffed and attacks her. They put cuffs on her. And, of course, lastly, Charlotte Flair, not to be left 
out of anything, attacks, uh, he was Rhonda, it was Lynch, I don't know, it doesn't matter who it was, attacks one of them while they're in handcuffs and she gets put into cuffs herself. Then they all get carted to the back to be put into police cars. And they're kicking at each other and they're yelling and they look like a bunch of crazy people. And Rhonda kicks the window out of one. Oh, uh, you're jumping ahead. So Rhonda, for some reason, because cops would do this, put Becky Lynch and Rhonda into this back of the same car, which was not even a cruiser or any type of car. It was an unmarked car. Yeah, unmarked cars still have proper um, places for the criminals. So anyway, so they get into the car. And, of course, there's a moment of, hey, we're in the same car. Let's stare at each other with hate. Then they start to kick each other um, like wild animals. Somehow, Rhonda kicks out the window. Uh Um, They pull Lynch out while Rhonda's still in the car. Granted, now they're still handcuffed. Uh, Charlotte is inside of her own car. They pull Becky Lynch out. And Becky's fighting. Somehow... So they open the, the the car door with Charlotte in it to put Becky in with her. Somehow, Charlotte was able to get out of the car with the handcuffs on to kick Becky in the stomach. And somehow, even more amazingly, Rhonda, while handcuffed, drove the cop car into mm-hmm. the other cop car. Yeah, she got out while, of the car, got in the front seat. While handcuffed. No, right. when she was kicking, she went in between, between the two front seats and somehow she wormed her way up there mm-hmm. and somehow drove the vehicle into another vehicle while handcuffed from behind. That uh, was just great. And then the officers, quote unquote, put Rhonda back into the back seat, which again has a broken window. Rhonda is hanging out of the window where Charlotte Floor proceeds to run up and knee her in the head. Mm-hmm. Which that was a cool looking spot. Which has, I don't know if you've seen it, has been remixed, um, which actually is hilarious. If you haven't seen it, I'll tell you. I haven't you seen it. the remix, but Charlotte posted a still of it on her social media yesterday with some pretty with a pretty cool burn on it that was that was good. Well, the, this this remix was quite entertaining. I will definitely have to tag you in it. <laughs> so that concludes what was just a, a ridiculously stupid uh, brawl. And, and, and made your women's evolution look ridiculous uh, because this uh, stuff is so 20 years ago. I mean, you could do stuff like this 20 years ago and get away with it with like Austin, but this is exactly the type of stuff that WWE in the corporate era, the modern era, the PG era should be moving away from. And the whole like reason that wrestling gets looked down upon to still to this day to me they were feeding into and even though i was watching it by myself i was like embarrassed as a wrestling fan well they want ronda not ronda they want lynch to be the female version of austin so i'm not surprised that they did this in, at all the, the only f- good part about it was charlotte going do you know who i am i'll have you all fired I guess you can see that was good. I, <laughs> that was that was that was the only like silver lining to it, if there was one. I mean, I'm trying to 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 make chicken salad out of chicken poop here. Yeah, because this this whole thing was, and honestly, between that segment and Stephanie's announcement that all tiles on the line, like I don't even care about the match anymore because now the only thing I can envision is Vince is going to have Charlotte raising both titles up over her head. Um, 
And as much as I like her, I don't want to see that. Well, it's at this point, like Rousey has gotten to be such a bad character that she has go away heat with me. Um, and like Ronda Rousey in the MMA world and in just the regular world, I've always been a huge fan of. And I thought, and I, it was always my dream for her to go to WWE. Um, and I've had her as a creative character in my, um, WWE 2K games for last few sessions and always booked her in my women's division. But now that reality has come true, uh, she was horrible face as a heel. She doesn't get it. Um, she's not the type of heel that you're like, I want to see her get her come up. It's like, I just want her to go away. Um, and the way you get over with the fans is not to be like, hey, your show's stupid and it's fake and I'm really better than all this. Um, I mean, even Andy Kaufman didn't do that. You know, I mean, it was, it, it, it just doesn't come across with me. And I, I've always been a, a fan of Charlotte Flair. She's, uh, you know, her with her legacy and always said she did great work. But at this point in time, it's like, oh my gosh, you're, it's like they're pushing her too hard way too hard yeah and it's like oh it, like i'm getting tired of it just let her get over naturally like she's like it, it's like they're almost roman reignsing her to me and you make a great point because which isn't like, fair which isn't fair but you make a great point because it's not like charlotte's not already over she's right. been over she had she got a she was better over as a heel, but she even got over as a face. She's over. You don't need to push her anymore. Right. Well, it's one of those things where, you know, they say some people don't need the belt, you know, but it's like they're like, oh, gosh, Charlotte doesn't have a belt in a while. We need to give Charlotte a belt when there's women who really do need a belt or need things to establish them. Um, like, look what the belt did for Oscar or Carmella. Um, and that yeah, still trash but no Mella it did a lot for her career brought it up they were doing a lot with her once they took the belt off of her then her career started becoming trash she did when she was the women's champion she was doing some really good stuff I'll take your word for it I just I didn't enjoy it um, to me what happens after you get the belt while you have the belt and after is what it's supposed to you know, raise you up a level two and that raised her up to doing dance it, breaks with our truth. And that's well, pretty at bad. At the same time, that old wrestling adage too, at some point, somewhat dismissed in WWE because you're only can do what Vince will let you do. And if Vince is going like, well, this is what I see you doing, then it's been proven no matter how over you are. If Vince doesn't want you over, you're not going to be over. Uh, you know, also known as the Zack Ryder syndrome. True, true. Well, going from something negative to something there more positive. One, there is one thing I want to talk about more from Raw last night. We saw the eight millionth match between the Revival and Black and Ricochet. But, yes. they, but they finally got a tag title match, and they actually booked it the right way. You saw some good tag team action from the Revival, some good tag team moves. It was a great old school spot uh, where uh, Alistair goes for the O'Connor roll-up. He gets kicked off, whack, into the gory flapjack. 
um, that was a great old school type spot. Um, and, uh, then the finish kept both teams the way they should be. He goes for the, they've been brawling outside for honestly, like two minutes and the referee's counting, uh, Wilder rolls back in ricochet tries to get in Dawson's under the ring, um, and holds onto his foot so that he can't climb in and the rival wins by count up. So the tag team champions retain, but Ricochet uh, and Alistair Black and Alistair Black keep their heat. Um, they don't look weak. They still look strong going into the weekend. Um, and then they got the retribution afterwards as the baby faces should. Well, even if they had lost the match and, you know, and the revival went over cleanly, um, they would have lost any heat because, and you know, we've talked about this uh, for a couple of weeks. I, I like Aleister Black. I love Ricochet. However, they had a raw tag team championship opportunity this week. They have, they won the Dusty Classic. So they have a tag team title opportunity at takeover for nxt and now at wrestlemania they will be part of a four-way tag team championship match for the smackdown tag titles mm-hmm. i'm just trying to understand why this tag team that's a month old is getting three tag team title opportunities on e- on every brand within a week span mm. it's obviously they see something in them but I see more in them as as singles. Yeah, as singles, they would be. I mean, Ricochet or Alistair Black uh, could be something in two or five, or at the U.S. or Intercontinental level. So, because neither guy's big, I mean, their combined weight is just right at four hundred pounds. Um, there, but they also could be taken seriously at the heavyweight level. Um. And so you could do a lot with them as singles on either brand. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, it doesn't seem like they know what they're doing with really anybody right now on the main roster. Um, I mean, we still have Lacey Evans walking out every week on both shows. For what purpose? Yeah. Yeah. For zero purpose. Hey, Lacey Evans walked out during a, what, like a 25-man intergender tag match that was a, a hodgepodge of ridiculousness and for no reason, for just her to walk out and, so, and turn they around. They haven't committed her to a brand. They still haven't, you know, said what her purpose is. It's just, you know, and she's someone who they could really do something with because she has a cool background, you know. I mean, she's... Right. She's even before the Royal Rumble because she debuted in ring at the Royal Rumble. But I mean, if you look at her background, the woman was a Marine and an MP. They've been doing the same thing Um, since the Royal Rumble. That's a cool background. and That's something you could build off of. But it used to be that WWE specialized in building off of people's backgrounds. This person's legit this or that and integrating it into them. Now it's like kind of a side story. And that's one of those things where. I miss Jim Ross because no one else seems to to do that. You know, uh, during that angle last night with Rousey and 
Becky and Charlotte. And when that glass got kicked out, you know, Jim Ross would have been trying to sell that like that was bulletproof glass that Ronda Rousey kicked out. And if, um, you know, and if everyone else was, um, you know, in, in every match, you always knew certain things about people and it made them more real. And it made, you know, if Lacey Evans was wrestling, he'd be going, oh, she's a former MP. You know, she can handle herself. This is, you know, a tough person. She's not just a pretty face, blah, 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 you know. Although I spout off today the fact that Stacey Keebler has 41 and a half inch legs. It's like, why do you know that? Because Jim Ross said it like twice every match she was ever involved in. I mean, a match when she was walking down the aisle with the Dudleys, he was spouting. Right. Well, she, that, she was still involved in those matches, right? I mean, whether she was at ringside or, you know, it's like yeah. you, you hear it twice a week for years. You kind of get that kind of gets ingrained in you. That's one of my. Regrets in life, not shooting my shot with Stacey Cleaver because she had some low standards before she got big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me and, me and Matt can be texting you right now. I hate you. Yeah, say uh, la vie. So, WrestleMania is right around the corner. It and is. And with it generally brings fond memories of wonderful, amazing matches. Mm-hmm. Matches like Taker Michaels, Michaels and Hart, Steamboat and Savage, even Hogan and Ultimate Warrior. Share just one, doesn't have to be your most favorite, but one of your favorite medium matches and why. And we will start with our last year's guest. Um, well, it's, it's got to be Brutus Beefcake and David San Martino from WrestleMania 1. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, he's Hall of Fame now. I mean, come on. How is that not yeah. a practical joke? If he says that again, cut off his feed. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've talked about Brett and Owen and uh, some other matches. I'm going to go with one. We talked about that one in the context of talking about Luger last episode. I'm going to go with, I'm, and this isn't necessarily my favorite, but just I'm thinking um, Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, WrestleMania 8. Um, that one is an underrated classic. And, and, and people do appreciate it, but the, the story behind that was Bret had lost the title to the Mountie a couple of days before the Royal Rumble with the uh, 104 fever. Uh, then Piper wins the title with the sleeper at the Royal Rumble in this great moment. And Brett wants his belt back, and uh, it's babyface versus babyface, and then they tease some tension right before the match. Uh, the ref gets bumped. Piper wants to use the ring bell to uh, hit Brett with. The crowd says no, and he drops the belt. Ends up putting the sleeper on Brett, and he does the walk up the first time I think I'd seen that. Yeah, and he later later used it with Austin, but walks up the turnbuckle pads and flips over onto Piper for the three count. Um, Great match. Great match. And Um, Heenan had some great lines in that match, too. Look at him. Two ugly people looking at each other. Yeah, just great psychology. Piper was never the best in-ring worker, but uh, great psychology in that match. And uh, Easily Piper's best match. I I would say so, and it, it holds up for sure, and, and then some. So, Great um, choice. Maybe not my favorite, but uh, I, I I could probably do three or four or five more, but uh, just wanted to mention that one. 
I, I remember us watching that match. No, definitely, definitely a great choice. I definitely agree. Piper's best match that I've, I can put my finger on that I can recall. And definitely, I was still a fan of Bret Hart, especially during that IC title run. That was, that was fantastic. And if you get a chance, go back and watch the, the pre-fight promo between the two of them because Piper yeah. is hilarious in there. And he's talking yeah. about Bret Hart's mom making sandwiches, making sandwiches. for yes. like She put the bread and she put the mayonnaise on and she put the mustard on and she put the meat on. Only one piece of meat, but still. And it's hilarious. Actually, I just saw that today. It was circulating around on Facebook. And yeah, it is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, it, it's it, it's a great match. It really is an underrated classic, and was probably, in in my opinion, I actually thought it was better than Brett Bulldog uh, at SummerSlam. I actually thought that probably should have been matched either. Cool. All right, JT, give me one from your list of favorite WrestleMania matches. You know, there's so many, uh, but to me, uh, me and Matt were talking about this the other day. Uh, my favorite match of all time is WrestleMania match. Uh, sentimental favorite. Um, just absolutely love it. WrestleMania 24, Flair and Michaels. Uh, you know, that my two all-time favorite wrestlers. Just so much emotion, so much story behind it. Um, they, there was really good psychology in there where, uh, you know, Michaels kind of takes himself out early on the announce table and gives Flair a fighting chance. And... Uh, just whether or not he's going to pull the trigger the whole time and the ending where Flair just says, bring it. And Michael says, I'm sorry, I love you. And then hits the sweet chin music, pins him, kisses him and rolls out of the ring. And uh, just so much emotion. And I, I just remember weeping after the match was over. And I still, uh, you know, I'm 43. I still get choked up if I watch that match. Like I like whether or not I want to watch that match is like, really do I feel like crying? And so uh, it is like, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, my favorite match. Like before that match, um, I would always like, is this my favorite match? Is this, is it, you know, and before that, I'm um, just to run an iron mention, my favorite WrestleMania match would have probably been Austin Hart at WrestleMania 13, the I quit match. But yeah, but Michaels and Michaels and Flair would be it for me. But um, then Austin and Hart, because that was just such a brutal match and they showed you can have a quote unquote hardcore match and it still makes sense that it's not just a spot fest. Because you can't tell me that that match wasn't hardcore and it wasn't brutal, but it also made sense. Indeed, great, great choice. Mm -hmm. uh, that that Michaels and Flair match, I still see people sharing about that all the time. You know, people say it was only surprise, it was only 10 minutes ago. I can't believe it. And it was it was that long ago, this great this great moment. And it, it was super emotional. Uh, I don't know anybody that is a fan of either one of those two that doesn't, you know, have a special affinity for it. I, I would I'd say this if you if you don't like that match, you're not a wrestling fan. I don't know what you like, but it's not wrestling if you don't like that. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to throw mine out there. Uh, I, you know, I have a lot. Um, 
one that I don't talk about much, but I thought was a fantastic WrestleMania match and probably not as high up there when people talk about it because he didn't go over in the match um, would be Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle. Yeah, I love that's that on my list. Yeah, that I, I I almost mentioned that match. I, yeah. I love that match. Yeah, I was debating switching out, but I wanted to go with my favorite still. But yeah, that match is that's one of those matches. If you want to show someone, get someone into pro wrestling, and you go, hey, here, what's a match to show them to me? That'd be the one. Yeah, it is. It is phenomenal from from top to bottom. Yeah. Uh, the storytelling, the action. Uh, their expressions, especially just when the match starts and you see their signature, they're staring at each other down and their signature faces. Kurt with that icy cyborg glare that he does. And Sean puts on his customary cocky smirk in, in Kurt's face. And then he f- starts off with that open handed slap. Like that was vintage a moment for, for both of them. Like this match is going to be phenomenal. And, and, and that was, was. another, and that's another case where the commentary did a lot for the match too, mm-hmm. uh, because Jim Ross at the end just selling how intense it was and how hard it would be for Michaels to tap out and everything. Uh, you know, the only f- real flaw is that in the match, uh, the only still bothers me this day is that Kurt did the the ankle lock on the wrong foot and had it going the wrong way. He never yeah. figured out how to switch. When you switch to the right foot, you turn it the other way. Turn it the other way. Which always bothered me. Um, I'm sure it still hurts the other way, but um, I mean, it's just you, you turn it the other way and reverse your grip. Right. And I never understood why he didn't do that. He did it against Benoit too, but yeah. Well, I, I just especially remember where he hit that angle slam. <laughs> Uh, he kind of angle slammed his Sean's back into the ring post, mm-hmm. and my thought was like, "Man, I, I, I know he pulled that, but I'm sorry, his back. Like <laughs> every time Sean's lower back gets hit like that, I'm like, okay, yeah. that that could not have gone well." Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's a it's an incredible match. Um, and they had some really incredible matches that year because I think a lot of people forget that they wrestled each other at. Um, was it Unforgiven or Vengeance? That your Vengeance? One of those, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, where Sean caught him with this with the super kick coming off the top rope, mm-hmm. uh, and then um, they had a uh, uh, Iron Man match, and right. then they had a, and then I think they had one more match after Kurt went to SmackDown and Kurt came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they the the guys always worked well together, and it was just. Um, and, and it's one of those things where it just showed why they're two of the best of all time. And I would have loved to have seen what Angle's career could have been like, if not for his injuries, him starting later in life, um, and his other issues, um, because the guy could do so much. He was as close to the perfect wrestler as I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess it's appropriate just to spend a minute to talk about him as uh, we get toward WrestleMania and supposedly his farewell match. But uh, he's not my favorite of all time, but I love watching him. And he's he's definitely up there. And he's as, perfect, he's as close to a perfect wrestler as I've ever seen. Yeah. To me, I mean, I've been an Angle fan since the 96 Olympics. And yeah. – and I've been 
just huge fan of his since then. I remember seeing him when me and Matt went to some WWE shows in 99 and he was wrestling dark matches and he had it even then. Um, and so, you know, it, I've always liked his work. He did some great stuff in TNA. If you haven't seen his TNA debut against Samoa Joe, I'd put that match against any match anywhere. That match is just incredible. And the headbutt. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've been a Kurt Angle fan longer than both of you because, you know, living in Western PA uh, and being a wrestler in Western PA, I, I grew up watching Kurt Angle when he was at Clarion. And I was in awe then. And even at his advanced age and the shape he's in and the, what his body's been through, I'm still in awe when I see him, you know, especially get down on the mat and, and do what he's best at. He's, if you were putting together a wrestler, I can't imagine anything put together better than Kurt Angle. Well, think about this too. What if Kurt Angle hadn't broken his neck in 96, wins the gold medal, and MMA was as big then as it is now? He probably, as well as he adapts to everything, could have been huge in that. I mean, as well as Brock Lesnar adapted to it, you got to think Angle would have taken to it as well. I don't know how well Kurt would have done as far as well, I mean, Brock didn't really incorporate any kicks either. I think that part would have been tough for him, but he would have definitely been a monster. He gets you on the ground and he mixes in the, you know, some BJJ uh, with some extra submission. I, I can't see anybody beating him. He's just, he's going to, you'd have to keep him standing up and good luck on that. Right. Uh, and I, I think just sticking with uh, on, on the wrestling side, if we're playing the what if game talking about how great that match is, what if he comes in a little earlier because he didn't break his neck and Sean doesn't hurt his back. And there are the, you know, Sean's still in his prime there and Kurt's early in, in his career. Like, can you imagine what they could have done at that time? Yeah. The way they're, they're, at, their, at their physical peaks. I mean, Angle had so many great matches. I mean, the thing is, even when people say, well, Sean in his prime, it's not like Sean missed that many steps when he came back. I actually prefer Sean's work after he came back, and not just personality-wise. I think he worked safer and, and cleaner when he came back. And and some of my favorite matches of his are, are when he after he came back, and, and that's part of the Angle era there. I mean, um, but Angle's matches, I mean – I'm not a big fan of his matches against Mysterio because to me, he gave Mysterio too much because given Mysterio's size and the fact that anyone who knows Angle will tell you has this like crazy strength. Oh, yeah. He should have just gotten a hold of Mysterio and ripped him right in half. Um, but I mean, Angle against Benoit, I mean, even that's not kosher to say anymore, but they had some fantastic matches. Oh, yeah. Um, Angle and Benoit, there was, oh, gosh, I'm blanking on who it was. Angle had a match in Japan to unify the IWGP titles. And that match was fantastic. Um, and then... Uh, AJ and Angle and AJ. Right. And well, I'm just... Uh, he had... Him and Samoa Joe had some just insane matches in, in TNA. He... I mean, his... Um, his match... At, even his match at One Night Stand with Randy Orton, I love that match. Mm -hmm. um, so he... Uh, and he was constantly evolving, you know, he, he wasn't 
anyone that was pigeonholed, he could be dead serious. He could be goofy. He could be all these other things. So Angle was just, uh, yeah, I mean, he was the complete wrestler. And even when he was being silly and laughed at, you still knew once he got in the ring, he was dangerous. Oh, yeah. He was all business. You know. So, so with that, let's talk about why in the world he's wrestling Baron Corbin to be his final match. Like, I don't understand that choice. I don't either. It makes no sense to me. Um, I mean, like when Baron Corbin first came out, I was like, man, this guy's got a look and he's got the size. Now he's got the size and he's a doofus. I don't think he's going to wrestle Baron Corbin. I think this is smoke and mirrors. I think it's going to be Cena. I don't know. I could be wrong. Just a guess. Anybody- I think it would be great if, even though I don't like Cena, it would be great if it was Cena because Cena was, you know, he was like Cena's first big match. And mm-hmm. to well, have he was his- Cena's first match, period. Yeah. Oh, yes. Was his first match? Yeah. Cena okay. came out for the Kurt Angle Challenge. Yeah. I remember the Kurt Angle. I didn't know if it was his first match on WWE TV, but. Yeah, it was. Okay. So he, you know, he, he said, Who Cena's, are you? I'm John. I'm John Cena, Cena. And I have ruthless aggression. Yes. So yes. it would be cool. Worst catchphrase ever. Why <laughs> didn't stick with it? Um, or not much worse than you can't see me, though. Uh, well, no, it's just something for the WF, the ruthless aggression. Oh, the ruthless aggression. Yeah, I hated that. So having him send off, having Cena pronounce pal, having Cena send off angle, I think would be fitting uh, for just the story of, of their two careers. Um, it definitely is a more sentimental and a much better send off than Baron Corbin, who, you know, outside of the past, you know, six months has nothing to do with the, you know, the career or story of Kurt angle. Um, as much as we don't like all these old guys coming back for these, you know, one-time matches, it would make more sense to have someone older do it, you know, than to have it be Baron Corbin. So Cena's the only person that makes sense, especially that's on the roster of the part-timer. Um, or, and obviously, we the only other person that would make sense would be Brock, but obviously Brock has his own match. Right. So well, what you do, what would make the most sense is, you know, <clears throat> have him tap out Baron Corbin in like a minute. And then just be like, is that it? And then have Cena come out and be like, I don't have any plans. And then them do an impromptu match there and have a classic. I don't know how much of a classic you're going to get between those two at this point in time, but it'll still be better than anything they're currently telling us they're going to give us at least. So I'm hoping we'll see. Yeah, classic definitely is a stretch, but better than booked is. Well, I, 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 I get the feeling that, you know, I mean, Angle may not be as good as he once was, but he can be as good once as he ever was. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, well, and, I, I don't know. I mean, angles, did, you, did you see that botched uh, Angle Sam? He tried to hit on Orton like. And when he's properly motivated. Cena can put on a thing. The only real concern is that there's no more Arn Anderson to guide Cena. Yeah. Yeah. Cena is definitely capable of delivering though. And, and I don't know. We'll see. I I hope so. I'd like to see Kurt go out with a better 
opponent than, than Corbin. So I guess that's just me being optimistic. Well, I mean, to me, if you really wanted to have Kirk have a good match and an opponent that made sense, but not although not a big name, it would be Shelton Benjamin. That would be fun. That would be dope, yeah. yes. And I wondered what is why they had Shelton come over on Raw anyway. I was kind of thinking that at first. Like, hey, they'll be cool to have Shelton be out there, you know, team angle. Because they're trying to keep him away from my AM. She's on NXT. It's a joke, bro. Go with it. It doesn't make sense, though. At least have your joke make sense. All right. So, with that concluding, we are going to transition into Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor. Lex Luger. (laughs) So, when last we left Lex Luger, he had made his final appearance in WWF. And um, so what everyone kind of agrees on here was that Luger and Sting are talking, they're friends, and Luger mentions that since the early spring or so, he had been working without a contract on a handshake deal with Vince. And he has been trying to work out a deal with Vince uh, to get some type of guarantee. Because at the time, WF did not offer guaranteed deals. It was, you get paid based on performance, based on house revenues, etc. And he wanted a guarantee. And Vince wasn't willing to give him that. So he mentions to Sting, he doesn't have a contract. And Sting says, are you, you tell me you're basically a free agent. Lear says, well, I guess so. And he says, well, hold that thought. Sting goes to Bischoff and, and tells him this. And ask him if he's interested in it. So this is where you get start getting two sides of the story. Now, Bischoff says he didn't really want Lex back. That he always thought Lex was a prima donna. He had a bad attitude and never really liked him from Luger's first run in WCW when Bischoff was just an announcer. Right. Luger says that Bischoff was very interested in getting him back. Um, but... Bischoff says he only went him back because of the idea of being able to get him as a surprise for the Nitro debut, um, but not really that interested. So they meet in Sting's garage in Atlanta when Luger's home one day, and they have this clandestine meeting, and, and this is something everyone agrees on. Now, when it comes to the money, Bischoff says he offers Luger $150,000 a year which is, I think, like a fourth of what Luger was making mm-hmm. previously in WCW, and says, you know, that's all I'm going to give you. Um, it's guaranteed for this, and that's all I can give you. Now, and he says he lowballs him just so he can say, Sting, I gave him an offer. I tried, but thinking Luger's going to walk out because he knows he's making more in WWF. Um. Luger's version was, well, he said there'd be no big money guarantee. But I have potential down the road. Which sounds a bit like Luger's saving face. I don't know. Take with it what you will. But what everyone agrees on is that the condition to the contract was that if Luger accepts, he cannot give notice to WBE. He cannot tell anyone. He just has to show up in Minnesota arrive separately from everyone else, stay at a different hotel, and then arrive at Mall of America separately. 
he feels bad. He feels guilty. He uh, doesn't think it's right that he um, not give notice or tell anyone. But he agrees to do it, so he gets this uh, guarantee and uh, does exactly that and is even snuck into the building with a towel over his head like Keith Khabib's wife or something. And uh, rumor and innuendo is that WWE was shooting their new Raw opening that night and that Luger was supposed to be there and he no-shows because he's at the Nitro debut. Matt, you want to add some more to that? Well, I, it's worth noting that Nitro, September 4th, 1995, debuts on a night when Raw is not a thing. Um, so you're going to get eyeballs. The idea of Bischoff wanting to have a big surprise makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I kind of buy Bischoff's story a little bit more than Luger's there about how much he wanted him. I think Bischoff really wanted just to make a splash. And um, so, so Raw was preempted for the U.S. Open and – Luger, while he had certainly lost some cachet over the past year or so, was still a big enough name to make that splash. And uh, it, it, it was a cool moment to see him come out when he did. He forgets about what moment he debuted in his book, apparently. What does he say in the book? He talks about coming out at the end, but of course his initial debut is actually during the Sting Flare match. He walks out in the aisle right. um, and just stands there and turns around and walks back. And everybody's like, what is he doing here? Um, but what's bigger happens later. Uh, you want to talk about that? Well, the first Nitro, I mean, if I'm going to book a Nitro, I want my ho I want my main event to be Hogan versus Big Bubba. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah. Um, That's the main event anywhere but, in the country still to this day. Right. Maybe in 1989, uh, but uh, as a boss man, but uh, he comes out at the end in a big schmoz. To be honest with you, the details are, are uh, not all the way clear, but I do know that there was a confrontation on the mic between Hogan and Luger at the end, <laughs> and they agreed to have a match on Nitro the next week. And 19 year old me was very much ready for that yeah. because the the old mark the old luger mark in me was coming out just hoping hoping possibly hoping that somehow some way he would go over hogan and win the title that next week um yeah it, it was, well it yeah. Didn't, didn't quite work out that way but that part of it was very cool to me yeah and something that's been noted um both in WCW Nitro book by Guy Evans and in Luger's book itself is that so when Luger first comes out of the end uh, there's a stare down between Luger and Hogan and it goes to commercial and when they go to commercial Luger breaks character and he starts smiling because he's like hey we did it and Hogan gets very upset because Luger broke character in front of the crowd mm. and he says to and Hogan says to him, don't you ever break character again in public like that. You're costing money, me money. And apparently led to some heat between the two of them for a while. 
Well, Luger should know better if that's the case. So that was one of those uh, things where, and Luger says, well, you know, I wasn't thinking about it. I was just thinking about the cameras being off, but it was still a, a rookie mistake. And for a guy who's been in the business for, you know, 10 years at that point, you should know better. Um, but yeah, so that leads to them announcing that what's been a dream match, uh, literally for eight years at that point, you've got, you know, uh, since Luger's was a horseman, people have dreamed about, well, Luger and Hogan. I mean, after mags and other magazines were going, wow, they'd be a dream match. Right. That is, you know, that would, that would be a, you know, just a huge thing. They end up, you know, finally booking the match. Um, and then we, and they're booking it for the first head to head nitro on free TV. Matt, what happened on September 11th? September, uh, I, I don't, oh gosh. I know that Hogan, it, it ended in a DQ. Mm -hmm. It ended in a, in a schmoz. The Dungeon of Doom comes out. Mm -hmm. um, what was supposed to be, it was supposed to be Hogan, Savage, Sting, and Vader going up against the Dungeon of Doom in the War Games that Sunday at Fall Brawl. Mm -hmm. Well, Vader has his infamous uh, fight with Paul Orndorff, ends up losing his job. And they they don't talk about that. They just say he's AWOL. So at the end of the schmoz with Hogan and Luger, uh, Hogan, uh, they basically put Luger on the team instead. So Luger has gone from challenging Hogan one week to now teaming with Hogan, siding with Savage and Sting as well to go into Fall Brawl and uh, be one of the the good guy group, so to speak. Yeah. So that was so, and then of course the Hulkamaniacs team defeat the Dungeon and Doom when. Hulk Hogan made um, the, the booty man, Brutus, Barber, Zodiac, man with no face, beefcake, submit to a rear chin lock in one of the Classic worst games of all times. Well, that, that sounds painful, that rear chin lock, baby. Yeah. And then Same you're going yeah, to get off to uh, this angle where uh, Luger is going to be teaming with Sting. Um, He's Why didn't we ever see a booty man versus booty man feud between Brutus and Scott Steiner? Because you know, that would have been classic WCW booking right there. You know, that's an excellent question. But um, Luger's going to start teaming with Sting. They're going to win the tag titles from Harlem Heat. Um, at Howling Havoc, Luger's going to pull du double duty. He's going to have just an atrocious match with Ming. Uh, that's going to end in a nonsensical DQ. Um, it's going you're going to have, and then you're going to have him get beat in just like a couple minutes by Randy Savage, who he had beaten by submission a few weeks before on Nitro. And uh, then uh, the next real big thing that's going to happen uh, is later that night, Luger's going to join in everyone attacking Hulk Hogan, but Luger's going to continue teaming with Sting. Um, and he's going to do this thing where 
when he's teaming with Sting, he's a baby face, but the rest of the time he's a heel. And Jimmy Hart's involved, and it's it it was unique but very confusing at the same time. Yeah, uh, I, I know that I personally hated the Jimmy Hart pairing, and that's partly because I just cannot stand Jimmy Hart pretty much any time. And seeing him associated with Luger kind of ticked me off. But oh, don't it, act like you was, don't go to the Tiki Deck. Where they got canned beer, right? <laughs> they yeah. got canned beer. And beans and yeah. taters. Yeah, beans and taters. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Just for the, the record, whole, the, the, the way to get little Matt any place is not to offer him beans and taters. I mean, offer him meat and meat. That is a way to get him anywhere. Why would anyone eat beans when you can eat a steak? That's mm. my. Mm. So. Yeah, Matt, for the record, is the person who introduced me to my love of chicken wings back in the old scoreboard. Oh, gosh, yes. Good times, good times. Yeah. Get get a plate of 50 wings to split. And... Split? Mm. Ain't no splitting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was <laughs> well, sorry, but I, got, I took us down the rabbit hole. Continue. Well, Luger goes on to beat Savage by submission at the next pay-per-view, which was World War III. Mm-hmm. And, and, competes, so and, and even though Savage loses by submission, they're both in the 60-man Royal Rumble that night, and Savage wins. Yeah. That pay-per-view also being noteworthy for Hulk Hogan's uh, dirt sheet interview, which uh, I, if you've never seen that at the beginning of that pay-per-view, I encourage you to go watch that because it's utterly ridiculous. And then I only mention this because Matt and I were there, but on uh, December 11th in Charlotte on Monday Night Show, Luger beats Hacksaw Jim Duggan by submission. Which made me happy because anytime Luger wins and Hacksaw Duggan loses, it's a win for the whole world. Yeah. Oh! That, that was when Hacksaw was doing his ta- stupid tape fist gimmick and he tried to tape his hand up. And while he was taping his hand up, Luger just snuck up behind him and torture act him. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, then really the only next thing I know is uh, they go to Starcade where they have the World Cup of Wrestling and Luger's going to beat Masachono, or should I say Masahiro Chono, with the Human Torture Rack. Masahiro Chono. And then they're going to have a triple threat match, um, or, well, not triple threat, they're going to call it a triangle match. Um and it's going to be him and Sting versus Ric Flair to determine the immediate number one contender to the uh, World Tag Team, or excuse me, World Heavyweight Championship. And Luger and Sting are both going to get counted out. Yeah, Luger holds on to Sting while they're both on the floor. Luger's holding on to Sting, preventing Sting from getting back in. And it's kind of, did he do that on purpose? Luger's like, I'm trying to help myself up. And Flair I was hurting and I reached match. out for my friend Sting. Yeah. Yeah. So Flair, Flair wins that and then wins the title that night. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I always thought was cool was on January 1st, Sting and Luger are going to defeat the Super Assassins. And if you don't know who the Super Assassins are, no clue. They are actually um, the Barbarian and Warlord under mask. And I think. Uh, Luger Rack's Warlord while uh, 
Sting uh, Scorpions the Barbarian. Um, assassins. Okay. January 15th, Sliver's going to beat Macho Man again by submission. Um, the next week's when Sting, him and Sting are actually going to win the tag titles. Um, and then uh, they're going to retain against teams like the Blue Buds, the Road Warriors, um, more uh, jobber tag teams. Um, and then on a house show, uh, in some house shows in February, uh, Luger is going to win the television title on February 17th from Johnny B. Bad. It is Bad Blaster. And then he's going to lose it the next night. And then in March, he's going to win the title again. The, tag, the, t- the TV title again. Yes. Was that one on TV, or was that a house show too? Well, uh, Myra says house show, but I've actually seen it on TV, so that might not okay. be accurate. But I always um, thought it was. We- I always thought it was weird when the TV title would a be defended and and b change hands at a house show. All right. Um, well, it says here Lure won in a house show, and then it says he won it on um, TV. So um, I'm not sure. There's mixed information here, but I saw him win it on TV when. I think Johnny uh, when uh, Diamond Dallas Page interfered. So, why would you? Okay. Why would you even bother putting the TV title on him? That doesn't make any sense. And he's going to have the belt there, and then he's going to have what I'm sure was a, a Mac Classic on Nitro with Loch Ness. Oh, good God! And then, <laughs> so he's not even going to be at Super Brawl. Um, but then we're going to have what was truly one of the worst matches of all time. Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage versus Lex Luger, Arn Anderson, Kevin Sullivan, Mink, Ric Flair, The Barbarian, The Ultimate Solution, and Z Gangsta in a Doomsday Cage match. Isn't this where Zeus came back as? Yeah, Z oh, Gangsta. Wow, that was yeah. so bad. Oh my god, that, that is horrible. That is truly one of the worst matches of all time, and it's the kind of match. Where I'm, I'm surprised I still watch wrestling at all. Yeah. After, um, that that was at the. That's a case of ego run wild. I mean, in 1996, I am beyond the point of can't stand Hogan and wish he would go away forever. Mm-hmm. And, and for, and I, for him, yeah, I spent almost every day in 1996 with Matt. And I can tell you every day. Um, Multiple times a day, he cut a promo on Hulk Hogan. Yeah, you would too, though. And and, and just to, to run through all of your all of your top heels and and quite a few non top heels in, in one match, just utterly ridiculous. Uh, I hated it. Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. Did I tell you I hated it? Don't think you said you hated it, but we'll we'll. we'll oh, I hated it. And so. Next, uh, next big thing of note is on Nitro, he's going to get a title shot against Flair uh, for the world title, and, but he's going to lose when Flair hooks the tights to pin him. Um, and then he's going to get, he's going to defend the title against Giant um, and retained by DQ. Um, they're going to, they're going to have a winner take all match where uh, all titles are on the line. It's going to be Flair. 
uh, Giant and against Luger and Sting. Um, and I think at that point, uh, there, uh, there's the tag titles, the world title, the TV title. Um, and, uh, there ends up being a DQ. Um, Luger's going to go to Japan a week later, um, and lose to Chono. And then, uh, there's a, just a horrible slamboree match. Some people like it, but I, I don't like it where it's Booker T and Road Warrior Animal against, uh, Luger and Road Warrior Hawk. Um, it ends in a double count out. That whole pay-per-view was just awful. That was the, the bat, the, the Lord of the Rain lethal lottery. Yeah. And it was truly one of the worst ideas that's ever been. Yeah. Kevin Sullivan and all his booking acumen. Um, yeah, yeah that was terrible. And then, uh, so they go on, uh, and Lear's going to have some more TV matches with guys like Max Muscle and Dick Slater. Um, at the World Wrestling Peace Festival in Korea, he's going to defeat Masa Saito, Japanese legend. Uh, they're going to have a rematch with the Steiner brothers um, on June 3rd of this year, but it's going to be a DQ. Uh, they're going to face uh, Flair Anderson, uh, and that's going to end in a DQ. Uh, and then at the Great American Bash, Luger is going to face... Um, the giant for the world title and lose in a spot that really looked like it hurt. Uh, he gets the giant up for the torture rack and then just falls forward and the giant lands on his head and then pins him. I'm sure that did indeed hurt. And I, I just remember like getting a headache just from watching that. But I remember um, Matt's reaction to that just being what because he, he really believed Luger was going over that night. I don't know why I believed that, but uh, I said what a lot mm-hmm. watching WCW 96. Yeah. Now, you're the one we have to blame for that whole what thing with Austin. Mm. Uh, no, no, I, I, I hate that. <laughs> I hate that it's still around 18 years later. What? Ah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Uh, so then... Uh, the next night there's, or, or not next night, but, uh, 10 days later on Nitro, uh, there's going to be a three-way tag team match. Uh, the, St- the Luger and Steiner be defending against the Steiner brothers in Harlem Heat. The Outsiders was, was going to come out, are going to come out. That was in Charlotte. I was there. Okay. Well, then you explain what happened. Um, well, the Outsiders were, uh. Be brand new, and uh, yeah, this was three or four weeks after they'd first shown up. Um, they 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 done the bash thing where they jackknifed uh, Bischoff through the table, but they're still causing havoc. And they come out with I, I think they came out with baseball bats, if my memory is right, I believe something so. like that. And nope. the distraction allowed Harlem Heat to get the pin for the titles. And uh, I remember at the time uh, thinking, really? Putting them back on Harlem Heat? 
but uh, storyline, I guess it made sense to get the titles off of Luger and Sting at that point. But uh, and, and just the you're you're trying to elevate Hall and Nash. But uh, yeah, that that does ends the historic reign of Luger and Sting. Around that same time, they're also going to cause Luger to lose the TV title to Lord Stephen Regal as well. Right. And this is all going to uh, lead up to the uh, Bash at the Beach pay-per-view on July 7th, 1996, where it's going to be Sting, Luger, and the Macho Man against the Outsiders and a mystery partner. Who's it going to be? Anyone have any idea what happened there? Uh, Bobby Heenan uh, came out and... King Mabel. King Mabel. Yes, King, it was Mabel. Mabel was, Mabel the, third was the third man. man. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Mabel was the third man. Ah, uh, yes. What bothered me most about that was uh, I think... Most people kind of figured it was going to be Hogan based on the, the pre-event shatter. Uh, still, to see that happen, to see Hogan turn heel was quite the sight. But uh, Luger kind of gets knocked out of the match in the first minute and, and is gone. And that's about as much as he had to do with that match. But uh, It was pretty uneventful yeah. match. Like, is- I, that was one. That was the first WWE pay per view I'd ever watched, and I didn't even. I wasn't even intending on watching it. Uh, I was at a friend's house who liked WCW, and I had only started watching any of WCW simply because Hall and Nash had gone over. And I'm watching this pay per view, and I'm looking at Luger with the Sting face paint on, and I'm just like, I can't even take that seriously, and. You know, Macho's got the face paint on. I'm like, oh, he looks looks ridiculous as well. And you know, Luger gets not like you mentioned, get knocked out really early. I'm like, okay, though, that was just a waste. Um, I understand that you're trying to make Holland Nash look good, uh, but it makes more sense to have them look good by having them face three guys and hold their own instead of just pretty much still a two on two. And then Hogan comes out, and I have to admit that's when I became like a fan of Hulk Hogan when he turned heel. I was always ambivalent on Hogan, but I, I love heel Hogan. I, I don't love any Hogan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm with, I'm with you. I, I, when I first started watching wrestling, I was a, a Hulkamaniac, but that ended probably in 1990 for good. Yeah. And, and so uh, just to see him come into WCW, which was my promotion, Jim Crockett Promotions became WCW. Ric Flair was the man. To see him come in there, to see Flair job out repeatedly, never get anything of substance on Hogan, and just to see Hogan just run the gamut, and now he's turning heel and he's – it's clear that he's still going to be the man for the foreseeable future. I, I kind of just echoed Tony Schiavone's sentiments at the end of the night, which uh, I won't really repeat since I'm a, a, a pastor. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah. 
and, and in, in, in my fandom, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for me, Hogan was like I would say the same thing. I was like Matt, like I like when I was a kid, I'm like like Hogan because you're supposed to. But by like when ninety rolled around, like I was full, I was like more behind Warrior than Hogan. And like when they were like, "Oh, Hogan's gonna face Sergeant Slaughter," I was like, "Really? Like we're going with this again?" Yeah, I even cheered for Hogan against Warrior, but after that, I just didn't care anymore. I I was done, and uh, the whole Hogan Slaughter thing, I, I couldn't care less about that. Yeah, I mean. And so, anyway, so after that, there's going to be a bunch more stuff. They're building up the, the NWO feud, and they're going to go with, you know, Sting and Luger continue tag teaming. They're going to, um, they're going to, at Hog Wild, they're going to face, um, they're going to face Hall and Nash. And there's just going to be one of the worst botches by Nick Patrick ever in a match. Um, he's supposed to fall down and accidentally. Uh, make it look like he accidentally chop block Luger, but instead he just didn't do a very good job of that. But um, and then uh, they're gonna him and Luke, him and Stinger and continue to be like nasty boys and um teams like that. They're gonna go face the Steiners again, and that's gonna end in a DQ. Um, they're going to go to no contest with Steiners and Harlem Heat. His, his title loss to Regal is actually August 20th that year. Um, bunch of no contest. He get, has a one-on-one match with Rick Steiner, uh, and that's gonna he's going to lose that by count out. And then we go to Fall Brawl, and this is one of the more famous angles of all time um, as far as wrestling goes. Right, that's where... Uh someone who looks like sting had been a, had like on nitro i guess it was a, a week and maybe a couple weeks before had had a would had he hit luger or something or there was like what? they weren't trusting sting flair and anderson and luger weren't sting trusting Sting. wasn't there and then at the end of nitro a sting comes out of the nwo limo okay there you go and, and I, I do go ahead. And and, and and then at the pay-per-view, Sting finally shows up and says, It wasn't me. And they're like, We saw you. And you know, apparently no one had bothered to call Sting on the phone or Luger hadn't seen him at main event fitness that week or whatever to ask him, Hey, what's going on? You know. They decided to wait. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, why use the phone? Yeah. You know, and you know, Flair's wrestled all these matches against Sting and Luger's best friends with Sting, but apparently if you just put on the right face paint, you just can't tell. So, Yeah, and apparently the idea came from uh, Jeff Farmer, who had wrestled as Cobra previously. Someone realized that, hey, you know, if you put the makeup on him, he really looks a lot like Sting. And so that they shot this with where he was like in the parking lot. You couldn't really see him, and it wasn't until – you know, he actually got out under lights in front of that, that you could tell it wasn't him. And then of course the real sting comes out. He stinger splashes, everybody leaves and then leaves uh, his team abandoned to take a four and one beating. And um, then uh, Luger submits giving his team the loss. 
Not the best Luger moment. No. Um, so Luger is uh, going to go back to New Japan for a tour. Um, and there's some interesting stuff here on this tour. He's going to team with Rick Steiner. They're going to defeat Scott Norton and Arn Anderson. Uh, he's going to lose a match to Kensuke Sasaki. Uh, then he's going to actually team with Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit. And they're going to defeat Nishimura, Kajami, and Tatsumi Fujinami. Um, and then he and Sting are going to defeat uh, Arn Anderson and Stephen Regal all that on his new Japan tour. And, uh, then with his nitro, he's going to be going on quite a steady run, uh, of being, uh, with guys like wall street, Valentine roadblock, Arn Anderson, Booker T a couple times, Scott Norton and Hugh Morris. Um, and then of course he wasn't going to, he's going to be in the world war three battle Royal. Doesn't seem to be a lot going on for Larry. He's winning a lot. Um, but nothing really huge going on for him. Um, and he's going to continue in December, uh, singles victories over like rock of rock and Jim powers. Um, and then, uh, he's also going to face, uh, Tombstone, who ECW fans will recognize as 911. But a big thing does happen at Starcade. Now, up until this point in time, the NWO is being highly you know, praised as their unbeaten, untied, and unsport bond. Uh, and so uh, they've won all their matches. WCW has not won anything. WCW has lost the world title, the world tag team titles. And the NWO is just dominating every match they're in. And Luger is booked uh, in the semi-main event that night against the Giant. And even though there's multiple attempts at interference from the NWO, Luger is actually going to win. Uh, he's going to beat the Giant. He's going to get a pinfall. And that's actually a huge nod in Luger's favor because he's the first WCW wrestler to score a pinfall on any member of the NWO. And he's going to uh, kind of be the rally cry. Um, and this is going to be the start of like a big push for Luger, um, where he's going to start um, becoming like the man for WCW. So he gets this big, um, you know, like nod of approval from management because he's the first guy. A lot of people remember Piper uh, putting out Hogan in the main event, but it's actually Luger who gets the first victory over the NWO and not against like Vincent or six or somebody like that, but against the giant of all people. And this is going to, um, you know, have a big impact on the giants, uh, face turn in a couple weeks. I remember it, it it's not a terrible match either. Um, no, it's not. And you wouldn't expect a Mac classic between Luger and the giant. And I'm not saying it was a Mac classic, but it was a good match for what it's worth. And the oh, crowd absolutely. was ready to cheer for someone beating the NWO. Yeah. And there's a big pot, you know, and, and it was a good moment. I, you know, Luger's going to have a pretty significant moment in 97, but uh, this is in my opinion, the highlight of his 96 and, among the top two or three moments of his time in WCW uh, yeah. for the second run, at least. 
Yeah. And um, it, it paved the way for what you thought might be better things for Luger in 97. Yeah. And he's going to kick that off the next night on December 30th, uh, beating Greg Valentine again. Um, he's going to continue to get Windsor like Mike Enos, um, Ming, Ron Fuller, uh, Scott Norton, Stevie Ray, um, Clash Champions. He's going to go over Scott Hall by DQ, Ron Powers, the Parka. Um, and then we're going to go to Super Brawl, where uh, it's going to appear that he and the giant are going to win the tag team titles, but that's going to be reversed. He's going to, he's going to have Nash submit in the torture rack, but it's going to get reversed the next night. They're going to say Luger wasn't um, valid entry or something like that. One of Bishop's during the whole reason. Nick Patrick, uh, dirty referee era. Yeah. Well, Is it that- was like they won the titles and then they were saying because Luger wasn't there at the start of the match or something, he wasn't a valid participant or something like that. But it was after the first uh-huh. time Nash powerbombed the giant. Um, and so now Luger's really steadily teaming with the giant. They're going to be facing Harlem heat Steiner brothers. Um, and then even teaming up with the Steiner brothers uh, to face t- in this eight-man classic, Luger, Giant, the Steiners versus Greg Valentine, Roadblock, and the Amazing French Canadians. A main event anywhere in the country. Next time y'all have me on, can we please do a deep dive on Roadblock? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Because um, the world needs to know. Yeah. And uh, so he's going to continue on there. Uh, doesn't look like he did anything and uncensored that year, which he's probably grateful for. Um, in 97 at spring stampede, uh, they're going to have a four corners match. Uh, it's going to be him, the giant versus Booker T and Stevie Ray. And the winner's going to be the number one contender for the world heavyweight title. Now I, I get Luger and giant, but why Booker T and Stevie Ray were in this when at the time they were just seen as I know a lot of people go, but Booker T's a five-time, five-time, five-time. Well, he wasn't at the time. He was a he was a no-time, no-time singles champion at the time. Right. He was a he was a mid-card tag team guy. So, uh, but Luger's going to win that, and he's going to become the number one contender. Giner uh, continue to go. He's going to have a match with Kevin Nash on Nitro. Uh, he's going to beat Ming again. Him and Giant are going to beat the amazing French Canadians, which are the Quebecers, if you don't know. Uh, now, this makes no sense at all. They're going to go to New Japan, and and the team of uh, of uh, Bagwell and Norton, I forget their team name. Uh, vicious and, no, no, no. Vicious and Delicious. Vicious and Delicious. Yeah, yeah that's all of that. Yep. Are going to beat Luger and the Giant, which makes no sense whatsoever. But it's vicious and delicious. <laughs> That's my point. He's going to have a non-title match in June against Hogan on TV, and he's going to be the first person to submit Hogan in like 13 years. 14 years, something like that. Uh, and he submits Hogan with Torchrack on national television. Uh, then... Uh, they're gonna sting and lure, or excuse me, sting and the giant are gonna defeat Hogan and Rodman by DQ, and then uh, 
and then Hank, Sting, and Giner are getting their revenge against Vicious and Delicious on an episode of Saturday Night Wrestling. And uh, then at uh, Bash at the Beach that year, uh, Luger and Giant are going to beat Hogan and Rodman, and uh, Luger's going to get another submission over Hogan. So that's going to be quite the push for Luger. And, and keep in mind, knowing this, Hogan has creative control in his contract, so it's him actually deciding that Luger's getting these submission wins. Uh, then, uh, as you go forward, um, then the next big thing happens. Uh, and that's August 4th, 1997, episode of Monday Nitro. Matt, you want to talk about this? Because this was a big moment for you. Well, I believe it was the 100th Nitro, and they were playing that up a little bit. And based on the past couple of months of what's going on, if you want to have a big match, Sting's up in the rafters doing his thing, just chilling. Um, Looks Luger's the, the opponent. I've got to tell you um, – I did not see this live. Uh, I, I was down on WCW. I was tired of the NWO. I was tired of Hogan. So I didn't see this live. So I was absolutely shocked when I found out that Lex Luger defeated Hollywood Hulk Hogan by submission to become the world heavyweight champion. Um, that's like a dream of mine. Now, didn't didn't mean quite as much in 1997 as it may have earlier in, in earlier years, but it was still pretty cool to find out that Lex Luger had defeated Hogan for the title. Um, if I'm booking, I, I don't do that. If if my goal is to get to Hogan staying at Starcade, I would have had Hogan keep the title of the Starcade. But that's not to say I wasn't happy when I found out that Luger had submitted him. Um, it was cool. It was cool. And, and Luger writes about this in his book and, and while Luger's, you know, never really been like a, a championship mark, like a mark for having the title. He, he's actually like very honored and touched by this because it was Hogan's decision to put the belt on Luger. Yeah. Well, that says, you know, despite how a lot of people feel about Hogan, you know, people, a lot of people recognize and respect the fact that he's knowledgeable about the business and to get, you know, the guy has creative control. So he's making the decision to put you, put the belt on you to make you essentially quote unquote, the top guy for the time has got to be an honor, you know, for someone who's been in the business so long, who's been on top for so long for them to have that type of confidence in you. Right. So for five, uh, five days later, however, um, with outside interference, Hogan's going to win the belt back from Luger. So that's why the title reign didn't mean quite as much. Right. So. And you kind of knew that Hogan was going to win it back since it was five days before pay-per-view where they were going to be wrestling anyway. Yeah. But, um, you know, yeah. it's still for, for, for Luger fans, we can say, hey, beat Hogan by submission to win the title. Yeah, so I was I was on a mission trip at the time, so I went left town on like I think a Saturday and came back on a Saturday. And when I got back, I 
the title had already changed hands and back by the time when I got back. Roadwild was like a Saturday pay-per-view and I, yes, it was. and I, so I got back like late in the morning and when I got back, I, the title had already changed hands again. So it was like, yeah. So cool. That, movement, but what does it mean? Ultimately not a whole lot. Right. Um, but that did earn him, uh, either no one ranking in PWI 500 or wrestler of the year or something that year. I can't remember which. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I'm going to look that up real quick, but, uh, yeah. So I remember getting one of those accolades. I think it was wrestler of the year. So anyway, uh, so after that, there's going to he's there's they're really going to be kind of lost in what to do with him it seems he's going to be teaming with diamond Dallas page a bit um they're gonna face the outsiders they're gonna face um scott hall and randy savage um then he's gonna face randy savage again and then savage and then they're gonna have it's gonna be savage and hall against page and luger He's gonna face Barbarian. He's gonna then he's gonna face Page. Um, he's gonna face Hall again. Him and Page are gonna team up again against Hall and Savage. Um, he's gonna have I'm sure it was a five star classic with Wrath. Um, he's gonna face Norton again, again against Booker T. And this one Booker T's starting to move into the TV title picture. He's gonna. At Halloween Havoc, he's going to have a match against Scott Hall where he's going to go over. Um, and uh, he's also going to have a, a rematch with Kurt Hennig for the U.S. title. He's going to win by DQ, so the title doesn't change hands. And he and the Giant will beat the faces of fear. He and, uh, he and Flair will have a, t a match on TV. He'll win by DQ. Um, and he'll have another win over Kurt Hennig by US, for the U.S. title by DQ. Um, of course, title doesn't change hands. Um, he's going to start feuding with Buff Bagwell. Um, they're going to trade wins by DQ and Countout, um, where uh, Luger win by DQ. Then the next week on Nitro, uh, he'll win. Bagwell win by Countout. Bagwell win by Countout. Um, Bagwell win by DQ. Bagwell will. Liberal, uh, and then they're going to go to Starcade. Um, and this shows how much Luber falls in a year. So that's just what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. So now the previous Starcade, Luger gets a big nod. He's the first WCW person to get a win against the NWO. Um, and he beats the Giant. And then, and and then in June he submits Hulk Hogan. July he submits Hulk Hogan. August he submits Hulk Hogan and wins the world title. In Star at Starcade, he loses to Buff Bagwell. No, really? Yeah. I don't because I don't I don't remember that match. Yeah, Starcade '97 he loses to Buff Bagwell. So oh, how far, far, how far he yeah. has fallen from the now wow. he gets the win back the next night on Nitro, but still at Starcade, the biggest show of the year, 
he loses to Buff Bagwell. He goes from beating the Giant and submission wins over Hulk Hogan to getting pinned by Buff Bagwell. Not just the biggest show of the year, but the biggest show in WCW history. Yeah. More eyeballs are on that show than any any WCW event. Because that was the one that was the Sting Hogan. Yeah, that was Sting Hogan. And oh my God. Yeah. And so you're having Buff Bagwell and and I hate Buff Bagwell. That's probably bad. (laughs) That's probably the biggest win of Bagwell's career. Yeah. I and yeah, it I probably rem- was. Yeah, and I remember going over to Matt's that night. It was right after we had stopped living together, and I was and he was taping it for me because I had to work that night. And I just going over there, and he was just like, "This pay for you was awful from st- top to bottom." And, Terrible. Yeah. And Terrible. so it was just like. And it yeah, it was just like, and I remember one like, what did you think about Luger losing the bag one? He's like, his career's over. <laughs> <laughs> and so and, yeah, that's pretty. And bad. while he's gonna, and you laugh at that, but really, how much do you remember Luger doing after this? Mm-hmm. The only he's thing I remember w- after this to just you know is. Uh, him joining the Wolf Pack that's sucking. Um, and then him tagging with Bagwell and that's sucking. Okay, so let's get to we'll get me getting the Wolf Pack. So early in the year, he's going to you know be feuding with NWO, former dungeon members, if the dungeon's still around, whatever. Um, uh, there's going to be a pretty big ma- match on Nitro in February. He and Sting are going to defeat uh, Hogan and Savage by DQ. That's kind of an AD stream match. Um, and then, let's see, moving forward. Doesn't, at, I know he also, although he had, should mention he main evented technically the uh, sold-out pay-per-view that year against Randy Savage and won. Although most people... Well, as long, as, long as we're talking about his big matches, we'd be remiss not to mention that he beat Barry Darso on on uh, Nitro in April. No, oh, I, ha- I just hadn't gotten <laughs> down that far yet. <laughs> we can't so, leave a Barry Darso match for me. Come on. Sorry. At Spring Stampede, he's he's going to team with Rick Steiner and face Buff Bagwell and uh, Scott Steiner, who was new, newly turned heel. Uh, and then he, Sting and Luger in a feat. Uh, Sting, Luger and Giant are going to team up and face Brian Adams, Scott Ste- Conan, and Scott Steiner. That man, that's just amazing. Yes, yes, and, it is. And then. Uh, right around this time, the NWO is split up uh, into two factions, Hollywood Hogan leading one, Kevin Nash leading the other, and Kevin Nash is going to recruit uh, Conan from the NWO and Macho Man. And then uh, from there, uh, he's also going to get Sting to join, and or Lex Luger to join, excuse me, and then they're going to get Sting to join, which will lead to Tomato Sting. Um but Luger becomes part of the Wolf Pack, which is the quote unquote <laughs> cool NWO. Well, they were the face NWO. Yeah. Um, but Luger is going to be part of that. 
and that would take him through uh, the summer uh, at that point. And during that time, I remember him going around like he was their official recruiter. Right. He was supposed to be going around bringing people in. So he had that thing where he was trying to get paid to join and they won the tag titles from, uh, from the giant, giant and, yeah. Brian, and Brian Clark. Uh, but then on Thunder, but then they're like, well, Giant and Sting are still technically the tag champs. Giant can't go around putting titles on people, so they're not the tag champs. Right. And then he's going to – they'll eventually get it, but the new champs are going to officially be Sting and Kevin Nash. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on, nothing really important until you get to um, – until you get to uh, – August and Lex Luger is on August 10th, 1998 on Nitro. Lex Luger is going to defeat Bret Hart by submission to win the WCW United States Championship. Was while he was with the NWO? Yeah. Okay, I don't remember that either. While he's with the Wolfpack. He's going to defeat Hart by submission. So, um, Again, you know, probably, you know, and this is at the height of the Monday Night Wars, uh, and so you know, Bret Hart maybe not what he once was, but in my book a submission winner. Bret Hart's a big deal anytime. It's really shocking. Uh, it shows you how it really to see where Luger was at this point. It shows you how little they thought of Bret Hart. Where when they would have him come in with all the heat in the world after Montreal, and they just they squandered it all to where they had this title change by submission. All right, and then Lever's going to lose it three days later on Thunder. Back right, Red Hart. Look at all these lengthy title reigns. For, yeah, for Lex. Well, this was the hot potato period. <clears throat> and then you're going to have a, a match, another kind of dream match, August 31st, Sting and Luger versus Hogan and Bret Hart. Um, and then you're going to lead to do, 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 um, you know, again, not a ton of stuff. Uh, well, talk. Well, let's he, talk about he was in the heel turn. Let's talk about the heel turn. Well, we're not the, quite there yet. Um, he's going to. Uh, I'm trying to think if he even did anything at at, at uh, Starcade that year. I don't think he did as part of the NWO, except for maybe celebrate with Nash. So then we get to the finger poke of doom, where the NWO reunites, and now the NWO Wolfpack is heel, and Luger joins them. And that's going to be his heel turn. Yes, which I distinctly remember. And uh, they decided to kick out the LWO. And Rey Mysterio refuses to take off his LWO shirt. And Conan, K-Dog, comes out. He was like, don't be picking on Ray. He's like my little brother. And Nash grabs the mic and goes, Conan, let me speak on this. And you know Luger comes from <laughs> off the ropes with the uh, with the, the axe handle to the back of Conan, mm-hmm. and I was like, 
But what, what, I did not think Luger was going to stay with NWO after the finger poke. I figured he was going to, and, and him and Sting, I figured, okay, him and Sting are gone. We're going to clear them out. They're going to go back to the um, original NWO guys. And some are going to be wearing, you know, the, the black and red, and some other guys are going to still be wearing the black and white. But I did not think that Luger would stay a heel. And unfortunately, they didn't do much with him as a heel. Well, what's going to happen is that Luger's going to Luger's going to turn heel. He's going to, as you said, feud with Conan. He's going to beat Conan. It's sold out. And then during a house show match with Conan, he's going to fill something pop in his arm. And he's going to make, well, everything looks okay, but it just doesn't feel right. And so he's going to get checked out by some doctors and they're not going to find anything, but still not going to feel right. And he's going to go see Dr. James Andrews who rebuilt his arm. Um, and he's going to say, well, what's going on? Dr. Andrews is going to feel around and he's going to say, Hey, your, your bicep tendon popped, but because of the size of your arms, your 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 forearm muscles basically holding your bicep in place. What usually happens when your bicep tendon pops is your bicep rolls up your arm, right? Like like a like a, a roll up blind. But your but his because of the size of his arms, he's just, his arm rolls up. So that's why you don't see much of Luger at that point because he's gonna be have to have his bicep reattached. Um, now he. Uh, also, should have mentioned earlier, once he goes back to WCW, he realizes that their drug policy is a joke, so he's back on steroids now. Which is why we see Luger get big again once he's in WCW. Um, so he he's going to say, he's going to talk a lot about this in his book. He glosses over a lot of his later WCW run. But once he kind of gets from this, he's going to keep working on his legs and everything, much of his body as he can. And he says at this point, he gets kind of you know really uh, obsessed with kind of his persona, his own self and this is when he's going to come back as the total package and it's basically a rip off of his narcissist gimmick but he says he's really living his gimmick because at this point, this is the most proud he's ever been of his body, of the way he looks. He's got money now. He's it's about buying his mansion. He's got uh, he's got a Mercedes. He's got a sports car. He's got a nice SUV. Um, he's got uh, you know he, he and he's uh, he's got a Porsche. He's got a Mercedes. He's got I think a an Escalade, and he's um, you know got the mansion on a golf course, and he's just got all these things going and he says um uh and he says something to the effect of you know he'd be shopping with friends and he'd see his reflection in a store window and he'd stop and look at himself and say something go in the window and he thinks himself yeah me um just slightly just slightly proud that's all. yeah and so he also says around this point in time he and sting have a falling out because it used to be that that they would get everybody would get together afterwards they'd get some alcohol they'd divvy up drugs and everybody would partake together one night sting walks past him says and he says hey come on man sting says no i'm not doing this and they pull aside sting says no i'm born again i'm not going to do this stuff anymore and sting says and he says sting oh, you'll be back 
Sting says, no, I want. And he says, fine, I'll take your drugs. And he takes Sting's drugs, or the lot, drugs that were allotted for Sting. And uh, apparently they stop, uh, they stop talking um, for a while afterwards. After kind of being sidelined for uh, a, a lot of time, he had basically been sidelined for about five months. He his last appearance was at Spring Stampede against and lost a. Uh, 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 he he had been at ringside for um, for Kevin Nash losing to Goldberg, uh, but he's going to. Uh, but I think his last wrestling appearance was like in February, so he's on the sideline for about eight months, seven, eight months, he's going to return and he's going to be doing his uh, total package gimmick uh, and he's going to have the mirrors and he's also going to have a new valet and that's going to be Miss Elizabeth and he knew her from his time in WWF and said that he had met her, thought she was a very classy lady didn't really know much about her, um, but they're going to start being around each other a lot more and develop a friendship. Um, is that what they call it? A friendship? And well, the, the, what you're talking about is going to come a little bit later, but he uh, he's not going to have anything really, really, you know, unstoppably huge. He is going to. Um, be another one of Goldberg's victims. Um, he's going to team with Sting some. They are going to beat Hogan and Bret Hart. Uh, then they're going to do, he's going to help Sting, and when Sting briefly turns heel, and like one of the most nonsensical things ever. Uh, I have no memory of that. Yeah, most people don't. It was in late 99. He's going to lose in a world title match to Bret Hart. Uh, And then he he and Sting are going to have some matches where he's going to lose to Sting. They're going to go to a no contest. And then Starcade, they're going to be doing an angle where... uh, Luger has been allegedly abusive towards Liz and Sting's taking up for her and she's now in Sting's corner and then she tries to double cross Sting and gets Luger disqualified. Yeah, I know it's great, right? This is isn't this during the uh Sting in street clothes and not we're doing his face paint era? No. Okay. I'm thinking a little too far ahead then. But they're going to Go on, and so there's going to be. You also have a couple things happen here. Luger's going to have two matches with Hogan, um, proving that Hogan's push for Luger's over. He's going to beat Luger cleanly at Super Brawl Ten, and then he's going to beat Luger. We're now in 2000. He's going to beat Luger. Uh, in a last man standing cage match the next night on Nitro. A last man standing cage match. Yeah. And then two days later, Luger's going to lose uh, a world title match to Sid Vicious uh, by DQ. So 
Luger's clearly on a downward slide. Around this time, Luger's going to admit he and Liz have moved past friendship into something else. And he's going to say he's not being as discreet about it as he could be. Um, and people are knowing he's going to say that, St that Sting's going to confront him about it. Uh, and he's going to basically say, um, essentially he thought Sting should mind his own business. For lack of a better term, and he's just like I'm. I'm not doing anything. I'm not hurting anyone, um, and that's going to kind of push things even further away for their strained friendship. That and and that's going to be a a big issue for for them um, going forward. So, and that gets us into February of 2000. And so, again, nothing really impressive. There, uh, There's going to be a Sting-Luger-Lumberjack match, which Luger's going to lose. Um, Luger's going to wrestle some with Shane Douglas at Spring Stampede. Um, there's going to be uh, the World Tag Team Title Tournament where, where they rebooted WCW. Uh, shows you how far down WCW was going there. Um, and that's going to be in Flair and Luger are going to beat uh, the Mamelukes and the Harris brothers in a tag tail match, but I believe they ultimately lose the tournament. Oh, where, what, 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 what year? When you mentioned the Mamelukes, what year are we in now? We 2000. 2000. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and so we're talking Vince Russo time here. Oh, right. Luger's even going to have a match with Vince Russo that it, shortly thereafter that's going to end in a no contest. Um, and then after that, Luger's going to be taken off of WCW programming from May until September. Uh, and then he's going to return just sitting in the audience in September. He's not going to get back in the ring until October. And then there, he's going to lose a three-way match. Uh, to Bill Goldberg and Bam Bam Bigelow. Well, Bam Bam Bigelow was also involved, but he, but Goldberg's going to be the winner. Yeah. Um, he's going to uh, he's going to lose a world title match to Booker T. He's going to lose to Bill Goldberg at Mayhem. Uh, he's going to continue being people like Sergeant Norman Smiley. He's going to lose to Bill Goldberg again at Starcade, and then start. And then at the start of 2001, he's going to form totally buff with Buff yes. Bagwell. And tag team in WWE history. Right. And so they're going to, uh, of course, their biggest claim to fame is that it, it, at Sin, uh, January 14, 2001, they're going to um, beat Bill Goldberg and Dwayne Bruce, also known as Sarge. Um in a uh, no DQ tag match, and that's going to end Bill Goldberg's WCW career. Um, he's gonna, they're gonna beat Chronic. Luger's gonna get a win over Page. Beat Chronic again. He's gonna lose to Brian Adams. Oh, how the mighty have fallen! They're gonna lose to Chronic uh, at Super Brawl Revenge. Uh, and then. Uh, at Super Raw Greed, uh, they're going to get jobbed out to the tag team champions of Palumbo and O'Hare in like a minute and 30 seconds. And that's going to be the end of uh, Lex Luger's WCW career. He uh, allegedly showed up for the final. Nitro wasn't happy with the plans and left. 
let's let's rewind a little little bit because there's one thing about this time that I thought was just um, stupid was his feud with um, Chuck Palumbo when he got the uh, the Lex the Lex flexor the mm-hmm. stolen like. Well, what kind of stakes are, are are a little thing you could have bought at any bro boring goods bro. store? Bro, bro, it's the his flexor. Lex Flexa. It's it's not just anything. It's a Lex Flexa, bro, bro, bro. The big oily men they're gonna fight over it, bro, bro. People will love it, bro, bro. Yeah, there's a reason I wasn't watching WCW around this time. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're, did, didn't they sell a whole bunch of Lex Flexors, you know, on WCW.com? Yeah, yeah there's some things I was intentionally trying not to talk about, but thank you anyway. Well, hey, I mean, it was it was it was hilariously terrible. Um, it just, no, it was, it was just terrible. There was it wasn't even, no, it was it, it made me it made me laugh out loud. Quite, quite loudly, actually, because I, you know, you have Lex coming down and and not, you know, we mentioned you took Lex is being how proud of his body during this time, and he looks, he looks fantastic, he looked amazing, mm-hmm. um, and the Lex flexor, I don't think it did anything to make him look more impressive, but of course, whatever, it's part of the part of the gimmick, but to have Palumbo try to crank this Lex flexor the same way and try to look as good as as luger did and have that be you know a point of contention it was funny it was sad because of that's what the state of the company but it was also it was hilarious at least to me so the next thing that's going to happen is that luger's gonna so luger's got a guaranteed contract it's going to pay him out for about two years left and Luger's burned his bridge with WWF, and Vince McMahon on the simulcast kind of mocks that. Um, and Luger is going to take his payout, and he's going to say, look, I'm just going to get the best shape of my life, and when my, my payout's done, then I'll find somewhere to go to wrestle. And so Luger's working out, and Sting calls him one day and says, hey, do you want to join the World Wrestling All-Stars Tour? And we'll go over there and work together. And so Luger starts writing up. He's working out. He's doing everything he can to get in shape. When he gets over on the tour, he finds out he has um, pneumonia. And is, despite being in fit shape physically, is not in shape health-wise. Now, a lot of people have asserted Luger was being difficult to work with, but in my book, I've had pneumonia before. If you've got pneumonia and you're willing to go out and work at all, that says a lot. Yeah, I've had pneumonia and they actually sent me home because I started coughing blood. So they're like, yeah, go home. Yeah, you cough all kinds of things when you had pneumonia. And so on that tour, he's going to team with Sting and they're going to beat Buff Bagwell and Malice, also known as The Wall. Um then, then, uh, quick, real, real quick, Matt, what's your favorite Malice match? None of them. Yes. Um, uh, he, he, he was the wall. Yeah. Yes. He was the wall with Berlin. Then, then I'll go with when he, he beat Kidman at sold out 2000, which I only bought because I knew that Benoit was going to probably win the title that night and then leave. 
And then uh, a few days later, Nathan Jones and Sting are going to beat Luger and Bagwell. So we got a totally buff. Yeah. Wait, Nathan Jones showed up in WCW? Why do I not remember that? This is WWA World Wrestling All Stars. Oh, okay. Yeah, WCW okay. is dead by now. That's right. Yeah. WCW is dead by now. Yeah, this is this is December of 2002. And then Luger's going to defeat Sting for the vacant World Wrestling All-Stars title. Um, and then Luger and Sting are going to team up to beat Jarrett and Buff Bagwell. And then the last night of the tour, Sting's going to beat Luger and Malice in a three-way to win the, the title. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's uh. Yeah, uh, that's go that's go go team. Yeah, <laughs> and, and World Wrestling All Stars will have, I think, one more tour after this. But they were not long for this world. They had some pretty bad pay per views. I saw, I think, three of them maybe, and they were not anything to write home about. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I don't. I I didn't see any of that. So do, do do we think that Vince was just so done with Luger that he did not desire to ever try to pull him back on yes. WWE TV at all? Yes, that he was. The rumor is that he was essentially blacklisted for leaving without notice. And yeah, even if he wasn't, given. Luger's really decline in standing in WCW. I'm not sure what he could have possibly offered the WWF after WCW closed. But he didn't. He didn't carry any. There, there, there wasn't. He, he wouldn't have fit in there at all. He would not have fit in there at all. And right. uh, I don't. I don't. I, I don't blame it, man, for not being interested. I wouldn't have been either. I don't think. Unless they want him for some type of nostalgia act or something, or had him as part of the NWO when they came in. Uh, well, I mean, I could have seen no, that them. wouldn't have fit either. Though. I mean, right? That I, wouldn't have made any sense. And all, I mean, here's the thing: if he wanted to write out his contract, I don't see where he would have fit. If they brought him in for the invasion, he would have fit because he certainly was a WCW name. He would have fit in the invasion. But that's about that's it. the only angle he could have fit in. Yeah, and, yeah. and obviously, he'd have been a better name. Uh, I'm obviously a much bigger name than, you know, the Sean Stasiaks and the, you know, the Chuck Palumbo's and the Johnny the Bulls and, you know, Rhino and all the cats that were brought in for the invasion. Johnny the Bulls. Mike Austin. Yeah. They, I mean, still, they, they had. So his plan, though, is that he thinks maybe he'll be able to get in at the end of that or he'll be able to make money on the independent circuit or something. And, He's going to uh, that he's going to be able to uh, you know do something eventually, you know. Right. But he but but there's going to be a few roadblocks in the way um, before he gets there. And thankfully, those roadblocks were not the natural born thrillers. Yeah. Yeah, they were a lot more serious than that. <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes this week's episode of Breaking Ring Rust. We've completed the wrestling career of Lex Luger, and we will wrap up with our final episode on the 
post career. If you don't know, just a little bit here, little scandal, little potential jail time, some health concerns for Lex. But the great part is that the story is still going, and the story does have a happier ending. So until next time, I am your host, Rocket Mr. Magic, joined by my tag team partner, JT, and our recurring guest, MPM Prizzle, Matt Privet. Until next time, get yourself over, Marks. No, ah, my bad. Sorry, I got to redo that. Wrong show. <laughs> All right.